Live from Jerusalem, Israel, the city of the great king, it's time for the second hour of Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnik. It's Moody Radio's Bible study across America. We're talking about your questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. My name is Michael Rydelnik. I'm the academic dean and professor of Jewish studies and Bible at Moody Bible Institute. And I'm coming to you live from Jerusalem. If you have a question today, give me a call. The phone number is 877-548-3675. Let me say that again. 877-548-3675. Remember, if you can't get through, you can always post your question by going to our website, openlineradio.org. Click on the link that says, Ask Michael a Question. Fill out the form, and Tricia McMillan will add your question to the mailbag. Before we get back to the phones, let me tell you about a couple of things. First of all, our current resource. When I was a freshman at Moody Bible Institute, we were required to read Balancing the Christian Life by Charles Ryrie. It was such a biblical, wise approach to growth as a believer. It had tremendous impact on my life that when I had to decide on a seminary, I chose to go where Dr. Ryrie taught and took him for two classes even. I still think this book is an excellent tool to help all of us grow as believers. It can be yours when you give a gift of any size to OpenLine. All you have to do is call 888-644-7122 or go to openlineradio.org. And when you give, we just want to say thank you by sending this, sending you this book. And remember, when you do give, ask for Balancing the Christian Life. The second thing I wanted to point out is I have someone joining me this hour. Now everyone's going to really say, well, who is it now? (laughs) The answer is my wife, Eva, is here with me in Israel. And uh, it's really the first time since we've been broadcasting from Israel, all those different years, uh, never had two microphones. But now... But that's because our hero, Chris, is here. Yeah, Chris Seagard is here and he set it up. We have two microphones. (laughs) And people always tell me how much they like Open Line better when you're here Uh, with me answering questions questions. And so since we have the opportunity to do it, that's what we're going to do. That's right. Yeah. I'm really glad you're here. And uh, I'm so glad I'm here too. This is great. And people often ask me when we go to Israel, they say, does Eva get to come? I said, no, the question should be, does Eva let you come? And the answer is yes. Eva runs the tours. She just points at the place and I go and teach where I'm supposed to. But uh, you're the one that's really organizing it. I'm grateful for that. So that's why Eva is here. We're going to be having a group of, of... Usually I'm just listening from the other room on the app. Yeah, that's right. And here when we're in Jerusalem. Yeah, in, yeah. in Jerusalem, yeah. But, uh, but the truth is we're going to have a whole group of people coming with Moody uh, on the Moody Radio open line tour. They're arriving here on Monday. They leave Sunday. Yeah, very exciting. Shira and I are going to be there at the airport, yeah. who you just heard last hour. Yeah. We're going to be meeting them with yeah. Michael and everybody. Yeah, and great. we have another guide, Erez Sasson, who sometime I'll, now that I can have two microphones, I'll I'll try and get Erez on the air with, with me. Uh we're going to have a great time. Uh, well, that's that's what uh, we needed to talk about now. We're going to go right to the phones. Stephen in Newcastle, Indiana, listening on WGNR. Welcome to Open Line, Stephen. How can I help you? Oh, great. Thank you, Michael. Um, we have Jehovah's Witness and Mormons, and they come obviously come to our door. And I try to debate with them the Trinity. I first bring up... Well, don't tell me what you do. To ask, why don't you just tell me what you would like what? to know? I'm sorry. What hmm. are the best Bible verses to 
relate to the Trinity? Well, the first thing I would do is I would abandon the argument about the Trinity. That's something for much later when when someone's just knocking on your door. Uh, if you get into an argument about the Trinity, but which, by the way, I believe in a triune God. I believe that uh, it's an essential to the faith. But that's not the place to start your discussion. If someone came to my door, and just think about how sincere these people are that knock on your door. These are people who care deeply about knowing God, and that's why they're out knocking on doors to try and convince people of, of their faith. So I, I think we have to have a good and uh, kind attitude towards people who knock on our doors about this. And what I always say to them is this is such an important question that you're asking uh, that you want to talk about. This is such an important issue. Uh, what, do you have a Bible, I ask them, and they say yes. I say, well, just get out your Bible and let's talk about what I think is the most important question. Maybe you can tell me from the Bible how it is that I can know my sins are forgiven and that I can have a forever relationship with God, that I will be with him forever. Right. I think that's the the approach that we've used with so many people who've come to our door. First of all, really affirming that they've come. Thank mm-hmm. you for coming, because this is such an important thing. I'm so happy that we can talk about this together. And then... Ask that question. Ask that question that Michael was Now, just what, what about. happens when you ask that question is they won't be able to answer from the Bible. So what do we show them from the Scriptures? Then, then, we, then you just kind of go through the Scriptures and you talk about the plan of salvation and then that none is righteous. And, oh, you know, I go to all, one verse first. What's your key verse, Michael? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Yeah, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by exactly. Gra- especially when you're talking with someone with a Jehovah's Witness background, it's one of the few verses in the New World Translations that is Exactly Translated the same. accurately. Exactly the same. And it says they use the word kindness, I believe, instead of grace, but mm-hmm. that's by grace are you saved through faith. Now, what's so interesting is most people who knock on their door will tell you about being a good person, joining their group, all these different works-related issues. And this says it's by grace through faith, not of works. And and that we so, say, well, what do you think of this? Yeah, it's, and I think it's always... It, Interesting to be able to say, you know what? It is good. It's important to be a good person. This mm-hmm. is an excellent thing. I I admire that. We all want to be good people and be with people who are good people. But the problem is, it's not. We can never be good enough. Yeah, it, we need God's grace. We need God's and grace. And so, Stephen, let me just take you. There's a lot of verses about the Trinity and things like that. One of my favorite verses about the Trinity is just the Great Commission, where the Lord Jesus says, make disciples of the nations. And one of the ways that we're to make disciples is baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What's so interesting is good grammar would require it to be names of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But that's not what the Lord Jesus said. He said, baptizing them in the name, singular, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what that means is that there's uh, a a mysterious uniqueness to God, that he is three and one. But Stephen, try to get out of the arguments and into pointing people to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 and the truth of God's grace. Okay? Okay, great. Thank you for your time. Sure. Thank you for your, thanks for your call. Uh, we're going to talk to Steve in Cleveland, Ohio, listening to WCRF. 
Uh, welcome to Open Line. How can I help you today? Hi, thanks uh, for taking my call. Pleasure to speak with you. So my question is, and you guys kind of were hitting on it about the Trinity. Um, how how do we look? So in Matthew twenty four, verse thirty six, Jesus is talking about like the the coming end and things. He says these things, and not even like the angels know. Uh, in heaven or the Son himself, only the Father knows. So if they're three in one, and, you know, as we, you know, believe that they're, that, uh, the, like the Godhead, the Trinity, but how does that equate with that being that only the Father knows and the Son doesn't? So if they're, if they're triune, how okay. can the Father know something the Son doesn't? I think, yeah. I think, uh, uh, one, of course, the Trinity is such a mystery. It's a, it's a big idea to try to even wrap our mind around. But I think one of the things that, that Jesus did the, is that he limited himself, and and there were, that was a self-limitation. And the other thing is, they're, although they are one, they are uniquely different in their in oneness. Yeah. They are distinct in their oneness, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, uh, I don't... I'm going to just tell you, I don't know how that works, but I know it works. Uh, I think that it's one of those issues when you deal with the triunity of God and how God can be three yet one. I understand the classical definition from the church fathers, the three great Cappadocians and the different church councils, Chalcedon and so forth, where uh, there's one essence of God and three persons. How this operates in the triune Godhead, how can the Father know what the Son uh, doesn't? Well, that that just seems to me like beyond my ability to it, to explain it. I, I think of the in the book Fifty Most Important Bible Questions. Uh, one of the questions was, "Can you give a simple explanation of the Trinity?" Uh, and I said, oh, "I wish I could." Right. There's, it doesn't diminish. Jesus as being fully God just because he has identified himself, self-limited himself yeah. about this little bit of knowledge. So, so Steve, it's, this, those are one of those questions that I'm just not going to even speculate how the triune Godhead works. But they, there is an, a unity of essence, the oneness in essence, but they are distinct persons and therefore they can have different uh, areas of what they know. Okay. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, you, you're saying not much help. I know that. <laughs> I, I don't blame you. Uh, but that that's exactly... Uh, I think if, if anyone said to you, I'm going to explain to you the Trinity, I would say just go run because th- that's a mistake. I don't think we anyone can. Okay? Yeah, thank okay. you. I, yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah, thanks for your call, Steve. Appreciate it. We're going to speak with Cole in Chicago listening on WMBI. Welcome to Open Line, Cole. How can we help you? Hi, thanks for having me. Um, I have a general question, and I'll give a specific example. Mm-hmm. So my general question is, especially in the narratives of the Bible, when there are morally ambiguous actions, how can we tell if they're right or wrong when they are instances where God is silent, the narrator is silent, and the characters are silent? And so my example is Second Samuel chapter 21. And in this story... David realizes he needs to come to peace with the Gibeonites, 
And so they asked for Saul's sons because they had a gripe with Saul. And David says, okay, for them to kill Saul's sons. And it's not quite clear whether Saul's sons did anything particularly wrong. And so some commentaries I read say that this was really wrong and awful of David. And others say it was righteous for him to bring justice after the fact of Saul's um, death. So how do we make sense of these really morally ambiguous actions in the Bible where, where the Bible seems to somewhat be silent, whether they're right or wrong? Well, let me just give you uh, something that's really important about reading narratives. Very often the narrator will not give us an insight. The way uh, biblical narratives work is generally with the words of one of the chief characters will state something like, for example, when Judah wants to kill Tamar because uh, she's pregnant. Do you know that passage in Genesis 38? She deceived him. She pretended she was a prostitute. She slept with him. And then he wants to, when he hears his ex-daughter-in-law, she's, uh, his son has died. When he finds out that she's pregnant, he wants to kill her because she's been morally bad. You know, she's sinning. And then she shows him the earnest that he had given her, the ring and different things that he had given her. She says, who do these belong to? And he realized, he says, we don't know what's going on in this passage, but what does he say? You are more righteous than I, because she cared about preserving the Judah's line when Judah didn't. And her actions are declared by Judah to be righteous. The, The point of that is that you see the message generally in the, on the lips of one of the chief characters, okay? So don't look for the, the narrator. Now, in this one, I think Eva agrees with me, that likely Saul never acted alone against the Gibeonites. He did something wrong, and uh, his sons were all in the military with him and uh, were obviously engaged in this behavior, and therefore David was bringing justice. He wasn't bringing vengeance. Okay? Does that does that help a little bit, Cole? Uh, it does a little bit, yeah. 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 Yeah, I don't think that we can presume that they weren't involved in this. So uh, it's one of those things a lot of people don't think that military justice or uh, or governmental justice is appropriate, but uh, that would have been a just verdict since they tried. it. Uh, look at this. Look at what they say. The Gibeonites... Uh, what they had done, Saul had tried to kill them in his zeal for the Israelites in Judah. So he had broken covenant with them, and also he had tried to annihilate them. Why is that important? I think what David did was more comparable to justice at Nuremberg when there was an attempt at the annihilation of the Jewish people, uh, that this was not actions that they were... uh, that they were not guilty of, that David was actually bringing justice to them. I think there's an interesting phrase in, uh, for you guys at home. It's uh, 21 verse 9, and it says that they were hung in the mountain before the Lord so that the seven fell together. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a, 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 that instance of, of justice before God is tucked in that little verse 9. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for your call, Cole. We're going to take a break here, come back with more questions right here on Open Line.
Welcome back to Open Line with Michael Rydelnik and Eva Rydelnik. We're live from Jerusalem today. Uh, now, Eva, is this your favorite city and place in the it world? Is, how did you know? It is my absolute favorite city and place in the world. Absolutely. Yeah. I love it here, too. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Eva, y- your nickname is Lover of Zion there. Uh, so. Yeah, that's my email, love, yeah. love for Zion. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and my license plate says Zion. I'm, I'm all about it. Yep, I love it. So, it, uh, okay, we're going to take some questions right now. Uh, we're going to talk to Michael in Dayton, Ohio, and WFCJ. How can we help you today, Michael? Uh, Dr. Radonik, my question is from 1 Thessalonians 5, 3, where it says, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them. Uh, when do you and other Bible scholars think that this time of peace and safety is going to occur? Well, it seems to me that what's going to happen is there's going to be a rise of a political ruler, And uh, this political ruler, you know, it looks like from a 10-nation European confederation of some sort, uh, this political ruler will make his bones and be acknowledged as a great peacemaker, and he will bring peace and security. If you read in Ezekiel 38 and 39, it's talking about when Israel finally has security. There are people living in a city without walls. It's the same period of time. It's when there's peace and security. He'll bring peace to the Middle East. He'll be the great peacemaker. And everyone will think that this is a great time. And it, and that's when they realize what, what they won't realize is that sudden destruction, the day of the Lord, is, is upon them. That's what that's talking about. Okay? Thank you. Yep, that's when the the future false messiah, he's the one that will bring that peace, but it's a false peace that will be end in ruin for many people. So, okay? Thanks for your call. Appreciate it. All right. Uh, we're going to speak with Charlotte in Cleveland, Ohio, listening on WCRF. Welcome to Open Line. How can I help you today? How can Eva help you? I'm going to make the, her answer the hard ones. Uh-huh. There we go. Okay, how can I help you, Charlotte? Okay, my question is, uh, I was taught to believe that um, when Jesus left, he left the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm leaving, but I will leave you a comforter. Uh, So my belief is that the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us. However, I heard a statement that someone said that not only the Holy Spirit, but Jesus and God our Father lives on inside of us, too, meaning the Trinity lives on inside of us. So I would like to know what is the biblical response for that. Well, I think that, you know, you read the verses like Christ in you, the hope of glory. Right. But we have to really recognize this is kind of a, a hard thing for us to conceptualize. But the Lord Jesus, God the Son, took flesh he is a physical God-man. He is, he is fully man, fully human. Right. So how can another human being indwell me? And the answer is by the Holy Spirit, uh, also a member of the Godhead. Jesus lives in me for sure, but only because the Holy Spirit lives in me. Jesus and the Holy Spirit are not one, but 
basically what it's saying that the Lord Jesus sent his proxy. Yes, yeah, as I will give you another comforter. Yeah. Uh, and that's the Holy Spirit. So the Father doesn't live within us directly. The Lord Jesus doesn't live within us directly. The Father and the Son abide in us because of the Holy Spirit indwelling us when we believe. Okay? Okay. So uh, it's, it's uh, Jesus is in me. How? By the Holy Spirit. Right. You know, so it's always by the Holy Spirit. By the way, great verse. First uh, Corinthians three sixteen, don't you yourselves know that you are God's sanctuary, and that the Spirit of God lives in you? Isn't that great? If we've trusted in Jesus, the Holy Spirit actually lives in us. That's that's pretty remarkable, isn't it? And every believer, every we, believer, fully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in Romans eight nine, it says, if you don't have the Spirit of God, you don't belong to Him. Mm-hmm. So, so it's an immediate yeah. transferal when you become a believer. Yeah. So anyway, I hope that helps, Charlotte. It does. And thank great. you very much. I'm a yeah. weekly listener. Oh, thank That's you great. so much. I really appreciate it, Charlotte. You know, when I first started on Open Line, I thought that the only person that would ever listen is Eva. And she does listen. But boy, I'm glad that you're there with her listening too, Charlotte. Thank you, Charlotte. Really appreciate it. Uh, we're going to speak next with Barbara in Plymouth, New Hampshire, listening online. How can Eva help you? (laughs) Um, Well, it's kind of a difficult question. Okay, then Michael's going to do it. (laughs) (laughs) It's coming out of the Moody Bible commentary. I'm just a little confused um, what it says. Well, I just want to confess something to you. I am here. Normally, I, I pick up the commentary and look. But it, you know how big it is, right? And so I didn't bring yeah. one with so me. So you'll have to let us know ex- exactly. I will. Yeah. I will exactly read it to you. Um, it's concerning the gift of tongues, and it seems to be contradicting itself. So I'm going to hopefully you guys can clear this up. Um, in one area, it says that God gave the tongues message to the tongue speaker, and to speak the message back to God would be pointless. And then it says that even the speaker did not understand what he was saying. Now, a little further down, it says that some claim that the purpose of speaking in tongues is to strengthen one's prayer life, aiding in communion with God. While it may be one of the benefits of the gift, and then it goes on to say that Paul may have been using tongues in his own personal devotional life, so I don't understand that section when you size it up to the first section where it said speaking the message back to God would be pointless, and even the speaker didn't understand what he was saying. How do these two go together? That's a message. For, that's Michael's question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me just say, it's, uh, when Michael Van Lanningham is on with me, because he wrote the First Corinthians commentary, but here's... Uh-huh. Here's what I would say. Verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 14 is saying, the person who speaks in another language, I like how my version translates that, because we think tongues are something different. They're just languages that people were able to speak without having learned them. Uh, They're not angel tongues. They're not uh, special heavenly languages that are different than... These are languages that people miraculously could speak without having spent the, the, the hard work of learning how to speak another language. Okay? I agree. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So the person who speaks in a language is not speaking to men, but to God. 
what I would just say, here's what I would say about that verse. I'm going to fill in a little ellipsis. The person who speaks in another language without translation, without the interpretation of the tongue, the message, Mm -hmm. is not Mm -hmm. speaking to men, but to God. The reason is the person is speaking this language. If they don't have interpretation, no one knows what they're saying. Only one in the whole room that knows what they're saying is God. That's what that's saying. Since no one understands him because he speaks mysteries in the spirit. Mm -hmm. Right. But the person who prophesies speaks to people for edification. So what that's saying is, it's a use. You don't have to speak the message to God. He already knows what He's given you. Exactly. And, and yeah, so that's what it's why the second half of this is confusing. the The point of that is that you should speak in the language so that people should be edified. How do you do that? By having the language spoken with translation, so that everyone understands. Uh, and that's why he says. Uh, in First Corinthians 12, you should pray that you should interpret also, uh, because just speaking in tongues or this foreign language without anyone understanding it, the only one that understands is God, and he doesn't need to understand it. The people need to. D- does that make sense? So the it, second absolutely. half... Yeah. The second half, where he says it was edifying, I'm not sure that it, it really, really was... Uh, I think they were building themselves up. It wasn't spiritual edification. I think that's all we're going to talk about for that. We're going to come back after the break. Thanks for your call, Barbara. Appreciate it. We'll talk about it again in the future. This is Open Line with Michael Ray Delnick, and Eva's joining me today. To Open Line with me, Dr. Michael Rydelnik, and joining me today is Eva Rydelnik, and we're coming to you live from Jerusalem, and we're sitting here waiting with bated breath because just a couple days, Trisha McMillan will be joining us hooray, here in Israel. Trisha, are you there with the mailbag? Yes, sir. Is that why you had to stay behind so you could do the mailbag from <laughs> Chicago? Probably. Yeah. Well, that yeah. no one else is leaving until... <laughs> Still Sunday, anyway. So that, you know, so someone's there, I guess. I don't know. You know that a lot of people think that when we're here for an open line trip, they think that it's all Moody students coming to Israel with us. But these are not. These are people who listen to open line and wanted to join us, right? Yes. Yeah. I'm excited about it. But, you know, when uh, one of the great advantages of being a Moody student is that you can come and study in Israel. Isn't that what you and Nate did the first time? Um, sort of. They're like study abroad ones. We just took an Israel trip for credit. So ah, the, the so that trip was a, I took that's was what a we're student study abroad tour. these days. Yeah. Well, mine was just a student tour that mm-hmm. other people also signed up for, but it was a student tour that was just two weeks. And there are yeah. other students who I think they'll take longer. Like they'll they can do a semester abroad too, right? They used to, but uh, pre-pandemic. Okay, now, okay. now we're now we're shortening it a little bit. Oh, but, okay. Yeah. But nevertheless, I think that's one of the great things about being a Moody student. There's so many ways you can study. You can study in Israel. You can study in Germany. You can study in Greece. There's really great opportunities for study abroad. One of the many advantages of being a Moody Bible Institute student. So I was just going to encourage anyone that's interested in having their kids look into Moody or their grandkids, or if you're listening to Moody and you're of the age that would want to go to school, check out 
Moody.edu. You can learn all about becoming a Moody student and be like Tricia. And by the way, you don't have to be student. you don't have to be just a recent college graduate. I mean, high school graduate to come to Moody. We have adult learners who come and and, and study too. Mm-hmm. So, if yeah. you're interested, uh, check take, out Moody.edu. Moody.edu. Yep. Okay, Tricia, you got the mailbag. I do. Good. Okay, you ready? <laughs> uh-huh. I am all okay. set. All right. First question is from Casey Joe. What do we need to hear? Um, what do we need to know about saints in the Bible? Um, she's been studying Second Corinthians, and saints are listed many times. She says, "I just don't understand who they are and why they're called that." Because mm-hmm. she also has many close friends of different um, religious affiliations um, that constantly refer to saints. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I live with a saint. I live with Saint <laughs> Eva. Oh no! If uh, only it was true. <laughs> so sometimes, in one sense use, of the word, so yeah. so there are people who have been sainted, and then but then if if we come to a yeah. passage like this where it refers to people as saints, um, mm-hmm. are, are those the same thing? Are they different? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let, let's start with this. Uh, there is this thing where uh, the churches have canonized people. Right. And uh, that's where... You get like St. Christopher or St. Joseph or St. Elizabeth. St. Elizabeth, St. Monica. And there, there are people who allegedly did a miracle, uh, you know, a certain amount of miracles in their life. And they also lived an exemplary life of holiness and various things like that. And ultimately they are recognized and they are... They're put into the, in certain traditions. They're recognized in traditions as saints. saints. That's not how the words used in the New Testament, though, is it, Michael? No. Okay, could you tell us about that? <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm happy to do it. Uh, no, that's not how the word is used in the New Testament. The word in the New Testament it just means holy ones, and it's referring to anyone who has put their trust in Jesus. Uh, a saint is someone who has put their trust in Jesus, and therefore they are considered. Holy. Now, we, we may not be very holy ourselves, you know, but there's something in the Bible that is a positional holiness. Uh, and one of the things that the Bible teaches about holiness is that we were declared, we, are, we were made holy when we believed. We are being made holy on a daily basis as we grow, and we will be ultimately glorified or completely holy in the future. And so, but this is talking about that position that we have of holiness from God. And so Paul will write to the saints who are in Ephesus. That means to all the believers who are in Ephesus. Right. Or Corinth or wherever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Or all the believers in Chicago yeah. would be saints. And that's why I can say I, I live with a saint. Right. But uh, in the broader sense yeah, of the Yeah, my wife, word. Saint Eva. Yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> okay. So, so when we hear a pastor, I know I've heard a few um, pastors refer to... The, the people in their congregation as saints. Like, yes. Hey, yeah. saints. Like saints. some will say brothers and sisters and some will say saints. That's, right. that's okay. Yeah, that's right. It's okay. exactly. Okay. He's that's, using it in the real New Testament sense of the I, word. I wish I could do a New England accent and copy my old friend, Mike McDuffie, who taught at Moody for about 28 years because he would look at his classes and say, now saints. Yep. And that's how he addressed his classes. <laughs> yeah, he addressed his yeah. class. Yeah, it was so fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. I hope that clears that up for you, Casey Joe, and helps you in your conversations um, with your friends. Yeah. Um, next question is from Brian. Luke 4.19, Jesus declared the year of the Lord's favor. 
referring to Isaiah 61, which connects to Leviticus 25. He wants to know, was Jesus resurrected in a jubilee year? Are there any Jewish or secular records of jubilee years around the time of Jesus? The answer is no. Okay. That's it. It was, it was certainly a jubilee event. It was a jubilee event. Because it was event. so wonderful, but it wasn't in the jubilee year. No. Nope. Okay. All right. He liked the, the, the potential of the um, right. well, we do the know he symbolism was, there. <laughs> yeah. Right. We do know it was on the first day of the week. Yeah. That's when they went to the tomb early in the morning and found it to be empty. And the angel said, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Yeah. And that was in April AD 33. Right. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Uh, next question is from um, a listener who wants to know, how do I know if God is calling me to do something if I can't hear his voice? Should I pray for a sign? Tell Eva. She'll tell you. Most, most, most. <laughs> She'll tell, no, don't do that. that do that. Yeah. Yeah. I, don't know. I, I always find that uh, the like Holy Irwin Spirit's says, voice, like Erwin Luther says, sounds just like my wife. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, we wish we had the audible voice, don't we? But mm-hmm. I, but we just, you know, we don't have it. I think we have to depend on the word of God. There's... Well, you know, let's start there. So much of the will of God is found in the word of God Mm -hmm. that, that, you know, I, I've had people say, oh, the Lord told me to marry this person. How? Well, I just, I had this burning in my heart that I, and I said, but this person doesn't know the Lord. And yeah, but the Lord told me to, well, the Lord would never contradict his word. And the word tells us that we have the right to take a, a husband or a wife, a believing husband or a wife, right? So... Uh, remember this, when you're seeking the will of God, never contradict the word of God. That's, that's the key. That's the first step. First step. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, uh, as you're seeking God, you can ask him to open doors or close doors. And we can know the will of God that way. Uh, sometimes the open door, uh, but we still don't have peace. We can ask God, give me peace for this, uh, open door or, uh, uh, or courage to face something that might be hard. Uh, and God will do that. Uh, one of the things I really want to remind people is so often I hear people say, I knew it was the will of God because I said I would never do it. And, well, no, God doesn't rub our noses in the dirt just to show his authority, John Stott said. And I think that that is really important. If you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Right. And, and you'll say, well, I'm doing something that was not the desire of my heart, but God changed your heart and made it the desire of your heart. And that's how he gave it to you. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So th- that's how you know. Okay. What about praying for a sign? Is that something? Like, well, is know, that different from praying for God to open or close the door? Sometimes we think praying for a sign is like a spiritual thing to do because you got the whole fleece idea from Gideon, the dry right. fleece, the wet fleece. He was really just a big chicken heart, not trusting God. Yeah. When he when he did that, yeah. He really. It was a lack of faith. It was a lack of faith that caused him to do that. Yeah. So. Um, I, I think seeking for a sign is really probably not the biblical model for us to follow. What do you think, Michael? Yeah, I, th- I, th- I, th- I, pres- I prefer not seeking for signs. Uh, and here's why. This, Jesus said, a, an adulterous generation seeks a sign. So I just think that finding signs, we can find signs in anything we want. I think it's start with the Word of God, seek God's will. He'll open doors for you if it is His will, and He'll give you a, a burning desire to do it uh, regardless. So He'll he'll delight your heart with it. That's what I would say. Okay? okay. All right. Yeah. 
Thank you. Hey, we're going to take a break here. Okay, Tricia? Uh, So we have some more time for calls. Thanks uh, for bringing the mailbag in. You can always go to the openlineradio.org, click on Ask Michael a Question. Your question will get put in the mailbag. Thank you, Tricia, for handling all mailbag issues. We're going to be right back with more of your questions right here on Open Line with Michael and Eva Rydelnik. special edition, a Jerusalem edition of Open Line. Eva and I are here in Jerusalem getting ready for the Moody Radio Open Line tour. People are coming. They're leaving tomorrow and will arrive in uh, Tel Aviv at Ben Gurion Airport. We'll be waiting there with open arms to greet them on Monday. And, uh, you know, what's the number one question we get about Israel? Is it safe? That's exactly <laughs> it is so safe here. It is just perfectly safe. Uh, you see things in the news, and there's tension some places. Uh, you know, there, tragedies happen. Yeah, and, and there are things that happen. But, but the it, way it's pictured in the headlines, you would think people were being dropping down on the street corner dead. Yeah, yeah but it's from it's violence. Not, it's no. not like that at all. And sadly, not to give bad press to my hometown at this point, but it's much safer to be in Israel by far than it is to be in the city of Chicago. Where we live. Where we live. Yeah, yeah. that's right. It's so it's very safe. Sad reality of our city. Yep. Now, here's the thing about that. Uh, the reason I mention this is that people think, well, Israel has such uh, political and diplomatic and even violent struggles. And so what does the future hold? Is it going to be a good one? Well, Chosen People Ministries is offering a terrific book written by their past president, Harold Sevener, called Israel's Glorious Glorious Future. It details the promises that God made to Israel in the past and his promise of glory in the future. God's word reveals that no matter how difficult situations may be today, Israel's future is certain and glorious. If you'd like a free copy of Israel's Glorious Future, click, uh, what you need to do is go to openlineradio.org, scroll down, that's our website, openlineradio.org, scroll down to the bottom on the right where it says a free gift from Chosen People Ministries, click on that, you'll be taken to a page where you can sign up for your own copy of Israel's Glorious Future. We're going to talk next with Paul in Vidalia, Georgia. Welcome to Open Line, Paul. How can I help you? Okay, I have a question. Can you hear me okay? I can. Go ahead. Okay. My question is, when John the Baptist had converts, they brought forth fruit uh, for baptism, and of course they were baptized, I assume, repenting toward God and, and then following the Lord in baptism. And my question is this, on the day of Pentecost, uh, you know, the Christians there on Pentecost have received the Holy Spirit there uh, as their bodies with the temple of the Holy Spirit. What about the people who were baptized by John the Baptist? When did they receive the Holy Spirit? Uh, okay, so here in the book of Acts, one of the things that we have is a transition. In the book of Acts, we see uh, a trend. The Holy Spirit doesn't in the in the epistles we see that every believer fully has the holy spirit every believer is baptized by the holy spirit at the moment of salvation but in the book of acts we see a transition and what you see in acts 19 is that there were some followers of jesus or actually they were followers of john the baptist and 
when Paul meets them, this is what he says to them as I'm turning pages. He says, uh, he says to them in verse 2, Acts 19.2, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? These are disciples. And they said, no, we haven't even heard there's a Holy Spirit. Uh, well, Holy Spirit? We haven't heard he's come. The, now, the way that Paul asked that question, it's not a normal question. It'd, like, it'd be like meeting believers and saying, did you get a Bible when you believed? And they would say, Bible? We haven't heard that there's a Bible. And so it makes him question. He says, then what baptism were you baptized with? And they said, John's baptism, which was a baptism of repentance, not a baptism of identification with Jesus. And he says, John baptized a baptism of repentance, telling the people that they should believe in the one who would come after him, that is, in Jesus. They hadn't heard yet that Jesus had come. And so he told them about Jesus when they heard this. They were now baptized again in the name of Jesus. And that's when they received the Holy Spirit. Now, I think there was a little bit of a pause. Now, normally the Holy Spirit would instantly come upon them when they believed. They would be baptized in the Holy Spirit when they believed. But there are some certain circumstances to preserve the unity of the body in the book of Acts that uh, they waited for Paul to lay hands on them. Why is this? So that they wouldn't start a church that would be separate from the church that was led from the church in Jerusalem, the one body, because they might say, well, we were the believers before the believers. They might even call themselves the first Baptists. And, uh, it's our a, little church on the corner. Yeah, that's right. So uh, to do, to preserve unity, they came under apostolic authority. So it was only when Paul laid hands on them that the Holy Spirit came upon them. And that's that's why. But after that, everyone that believed in Jesus received the, you know, in the epistles, if you believed in Jesus, you had to believe in Jesus, they received the Holy Spirit. So. Anything you want to add to that, Eva? No, that's. I think that's it. It's just yeah. there was just that uh, lag time changing. Yeah, from the transition transitioning from one era to another. Yep. So, okay, does that help, Paul? Yes, it does. And I've, I've been a volunteer with Chosen People's Ministries in New York a couple of times. Oh, oh great! great. So, Glad to hear that. That's great. Anyway. We love that ministry. Right. You know, I came to the Lord through them. So, oh, really? that's wonderful. Yeah, great. All Thank right. you for your call, Paul. Appreciate it. Uh, we're going to speak with uh, Daisy in Navajo Land, Arizona, listening on KHAC. Oh, I want to visit your house. What a, da- a cool town. <laughs> Hi, what? Daisy. How can we help you? <laughs> Good morning. My question was, um, uh, according to Ezra 1, 1, 622 and 727, it says the Lord moved the heart of the king. And then the attitude of the king, and then again down in 727, the heart of the king. According to these, uh, I was saying that we're taught that man has not a spirit that's the small s other than his body. And so the man is without spirit until salvation. And according to these scriptures, it sounds like kings have a spirit. What verse? Uh, in Ezra 6, oh, Ezra 6. Uh, 22 and 727. Let me just say this. None of these, these verses talk about the heart. The Lord spoke to the king's heart, right? There's every person has an immaterial part, a spirit, a soul, uh, 
a uh, a heart. Uh, that's all these things, mind, that's the immaterial part of a person. And even people who don't know the Lord have that. But they don't have a renewed spirit. Only after salvation is their spirit renewed. Uh, and and so I, someone told you that there is no spirit, there's no immaterial part in a person before salvation? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. No, we, we're, we have them. But we're fallen, and then when we trust in Jesus, we have a renewed spirit. Okay? The spirit would be like asleep, right? No, it's, it's depraved. That's all it is. Okay? That's it. Okay. It's, we, we have an immaterial part. The king has a heart that can be moved. Uh, that's, that refers, I think, in that case uh, to his decision-making ability, his volition, although sometimes it refers to his emotion. So that's what it's talking about. I hope that helps, Daisy. Uh, there is a, a, a fallen uh, immaterial part that people have that when we trust in Jesus, and this is the good news, he renews our lives. He makes us new creatures, and we have renewed human spirits and the Holy Spirit abiding in us. Okay, Eva, so uh, thanks for your call, Daisy. So uh, I opened the program today talking about praying for the peace of Jerusalem. I heard that. Yeah, yeah, I was listening. Is there some sort of exhortation or encouragement you might want to give people about praying for the peace of Jerusalem? Well, I think it's a serious uh, it's a serious charge, or God wouldn't have put it in the Bible for us. He wants every person to um, have a heart for his people and for his land. And as uh Corrie ten Boom, he was probably known to many people. She said, I just don't understand how anyone who loves the Lord God doesn't love the people of the Lord God, the Jewish people. So we have to pray for the the peace of Jerusalem. For Mm -hmm. for them to know the Messiah, for them to have physical peace. And uh, it's an exciting... Spiritual peace, too. Spiritual peace. It's an exciting command we get to follow. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just wanted to encourage you about that because the reason I, I tell people to pray for the peace of Jerusalem is because Eva always reminds me to tell them. So there we go. Well, that's the program for the week. Thanks for listening, everyone. Really appreciate it. We love being here in Jerusalem and talking with you there in America. As always, I'm grateful for the Open Line team, Trisha McMillan, Courtney Young, and Gabby T. And also today, Chris Seagard, who's here in Jerusalem with, with me, making this happen. I so appreciate it. Remember, keep in touch with us by going to our, our website, openlineradio.org. All sorts of links you'll find there. Keep reading the Bible. We'll talk about it next week. Open Line with Michael Rydelnik is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Thanks for joining me, Eva. Thank you. See you next week. <laughs>